It's time once again for another episode of All That's Jazz, the podcast that explores everything in the world of jazz. And here now is your host, Alan Scott. Jazz singer, songwriter, pianist, and arranger Nicole Zoraitis has been described as an undeniable force in music and in life. Music is in her heart and soul and at the very core of this Waterbury, Connecticut native. As the singer likes to say, it's always been there. I always loved to sing, and I had a big voice, and I sang all genres. You know, I was the the kid who was awkward, holding a hairbrush, singing Whitney Houston. And then I played the trombone, so of course that put me in jazz bands. And then in high school, I had my high school band director say, you should also sing. And so I would sing in front of the big band. I would do the Naugatuck Valley Community College on the weekends, big band. But I also was a classical singer. And I think that, you know, speaking of vacuum, for me, I always just loved music and I had to make music to survive. And and so that's how I started doing background gigs and weddings and all that stuff is because, like, I didn't get the silver spoon of, like, someone just saying, you know, here, here's money, go be an artist. It's like, no, like, if you want to be an artist, you better pay your rent. You know, Tony Bennett gave me $10 when I was working at Sarah Beth's on Central Park as a hostess. And I remember thinking, wow, I made it. I made it. I live in New York City. I'm trying to be a singer. And Tony Bennett gave me $10 to take his coat because I'm a hostess at a freaking brunch restaurant. And like, there's no shame in that game. And so music, I always loved. I love, 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 loved it. And I did every genre known to man. Classical, folk, rock, blues, big band. So I think music it's hard to, to put it into a bubble and jazz jazz kind of found me in a way because it was the only art form that I felt was the most free, had the most creativity without constant construct of what is what. And it is jazz that has led her to two Grammy nominations, the first of which she shared with her husband and drummer Dan Pugach in 2019 in the category of Best Arrangement, Instrument, and Vocals for their rendition of the song Jolene. But it was her second nomination that she won the prestigious trophy for Best Jazz Vocal Album at this year's 66th Grammy Awards for her 2023 album, How Love Begins, which is co-produced by jazz giant Christian McBride. Yeah, dig it. And dig it indeed is what we will do today as we explore the magical story behind the development of this award-winning accomplishment by Nicole Zoraitis. It might seem like Nicole is on a meteoric rise to the top, but she is actually an overnight sensation that has been 20 years in the making. She has paid her dues along the way to not only becoming a Grammy Award winner, but is also a band leader, an in-demand artist who has produced six albums as a leader, appears at all top jazz venues, including being the premier vocalist for the Birdland Big Band. She's worked with a who's who list of other artists, is an educator on the vocal faculty at NYU, SUNY Purchase, and the Litchfield Jazz Camp, and is an ardent activist, as well as, in her spare time, rescuing and rehabilitating pit bulls from shelters in New York City. My conversation with Nicole Zoraitis begins with the awarding of her first Grammy. 
what was it like for you when you were sitting there in L.A. and all of a sudden you heard those words? And the Grammy goes to How Love Begins, Nicole Zoraitis. I keep saying that I had like an out-of-body experience. And I think more importantly, you know, my husband Dan Pugach and I were sitting there and we were sitting back in our chairs, you know, a hat on, uh, a gown and big heels. And I was so shocked to have won because I was si- I was leaning back in my chair, just excited to see whoever won and just feeling grateful to have been there. And when they, when they said how love begins, I think it, there was an audible gasp. <laughs> was heard around the world and then I was like shaking like a leaf when I was giving the speech which I had written on a piece of paper because I don't like when people read from their phones mm-hmm. um, in big moments like that and and I was like well I'll, I'll just write it down on paper we'll see you know it's called manifesting I suppose and then boom there it was <laughs> so it was, it was pretty spectacular well, I, I'm sure it was a, an extremely special moment. Uh, did you ever in your wildest dream think that I have to plan this? I've got to know exactly what to say because I have this feeling it's going to be me. You know, the feeling it's going to be me was never something that I that I really felt because the competition was steep. And the first time I was nominated for our arrangement of Jolene, we didn't write a speech because we just couldn't even believe that we were there. And I think that that, that for me was a learning lesson because right the first time in 2019 when they were you know, calling out the, and the Grammy goes to for their category of arrangement, which we were nominated for, mm-hmm. my husband and I, who were nominated together, we looked at each other, we were like, oh my God, we don't have a speech. <laughs> you know, like that would be so terrible. And so this time, I think that that's half, half of the battle was let me just imagine for a moment. Let me just dream for a minute. Whether or not this speech just goes into a book of all my songwriting journals and just lives there as like a as a dream or actually goes into fruition, I think that the the, the lesson for me was if you don't prepare for it, it definitely won't happen. So I'm glad it was prepared. <laughs> mm. Well, and, and and like you said or alluded to, the fact is that you were in a category that was pretty deep, which included Cecile McLaurin-Salvant, Gretchen Parlato, and Lionel Lueke, Fred Hirsch and Esperanza Spalding, and of course, Patty Austin featuring the Gordon Goodwin Big Fat Band. I had the, the distinct pleasure of getting to see and interact and hang out with Patty Austin and Gordon quite a bit during Grammy week in LA, you know, we were having laughs because the first time I met Patty Austin was in a gifting suite. And I went up to her and I said, oh, hi, Patty Austin. Uh, my name is Nicole Zoraitis. And, you know, we're nominated together, but I'll, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. And she goes, if you win, I'm going to storm the stage like Kanye. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I, I thought she was serious and then she broke into this huge smile and was just such a doll. And I just I just adored her and then, um, you know, saw Gordon at the same time and you know, he's been nominated 25 times or something mm-hmm. unbelievable. Yeah. And what I love about the Recording Academy, which I think people who are listening need to understand, is that it really is based on people's professional and peers in the industry's opinion of what is at that moment, what they think the, the best quote unquote recording is. It feels so nice to know that it wasn't just based on, well, they've won before. So, of course, they're going to win again. 
it, it was it's like a huge moment where you go wow it's not rigged you know this this thing is not rigged it's really based on on listening and and giving people a chance if they're deserving so i i was so thrilled i think that this is a huge win for jazz and independent artists and the recording academy in general to have someone who was quote unquote the underdog take out these jazz giants but it's not really about taking out it's really just music is subjective like once i write the song it's no longer mine it's really up to the audience the grammys are based on recording process mixing engineer mastering engineer production songwriting you know the live in studio and the post production you know so much goes into it so i'm thrilled i hate to ask this question but i i'm curious what your take on it is what do you think was the difference in why it is that this was given the Grammy Award? Why more so you than the other four that were in the category? Wow. No one, I've never thought about that. And that is a really interesting question, you know, because like I said before, it, it, it's anybody's game because everybody is unique and um, everybody made a great product that was true to them. But I will say that I've noticed a uh, an uprising, I suppose, in jazz in the last couple of years that that wants to honor the tradition of jazz because that is at the crux of it, right? So jazz is Black American music, and the, tr the tradition of jazz, based in bebop and swing and the blues, and Black American music is so essential in order to call it jazz. So there's one needing to honor the tradition is huge, but two, there's also this feeling that jazz needs to ebb and flow and evolve and innovate. So I think that this year, whoever listened to this record within the Academy was like, wow, that's all original music written by a woman only with women, either poets or arranged only by a woman. And it's produced and thought through and she's not a nobody. Just because I wasn't famous out of college doesn't make me a nobody. Right. It means that I've been working in this industry and I have the street cred to prove it. So something about those three things of honoring the tradition of jazz, wanting to innovate, do something new and also giving somebody a chance who has been in the trenches for many years. Maybe 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 it was a mistake in the algorithm. I don't know, <laughs> you know but I'm thrilled. <laughs> There's something to be said about this was uh, many years in the making. It really is a truism when you think about it, whether it's a literary award or whether it's an Academy Award or a Grammy Award. Oftentimes, it, it didn't just happen overnight. I love that you said that. It does not happen in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. It does not happen in a vacuum. This was not something that just like was bestowed upon me and because somebody said, she is the thing. No, it's like I worked for this with my blood, sweat and tears and money and time. And I have gotten so many rejections. I thought no was my middle name over the last 20 years, you know? So it was nice to feel seen by my peers. Really nice to be like, oh, someone was like, wow, she wrote and arranged the whole thing. And she got killer players and it sounds great. Let's reward her for that. Your release, How Love Begins, was actually co-produced by the one, the only Christian McBride. How did yes. that come about? How did you? How did the two of you hook up? 
I love telling this story because I mean, not not to get on this bandwagon of like Cinderella, um, because if I'm a Cinderella story, then I'm an old ass Cinderella. <laughs> I'm like Cinderella plus twenty years. Do me a favor, like Cinderella's been. I've been sweeping the floors for twenty years. So, my story of how I met Christian started in 2000. And I met him in 2000. Well, I didn't really meet him. I did the Sarah Vaughan International Competition, which is a vocal competition in 2015. And I placed, uh, but didn't win. Didn't get to meet him, but he was one of the judges. And then about six months later, I was back to singing background gigs, a piano woman a la Billy Joel style, you know, like. I played across the street from Carnegie Hall at this place called the Red Eye Grill. And I would play the piano and sing and take requests. And people would put bread in my jar and say, man, what are you doing here? <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And I was playing on a very, very busy day. And I thought no one was listening. And so I just started playing Night in Tunisia. And then I, I messed up the bridge. And so I did it again. Because I was like, no one's listening. And then who walks up to the piano but Christian McBride? He goes, I know you. How do I know you? I said, oh, gosh, how, how long have you been here? <laughs> He's like, oh, I've been listening to you for about 45 minutes. I was like, why? Why, Lord, though? And so he's like, Sarah Vaughn. I remember you from Sarah Vaughn. I was like, yeah. He goes, I'm doing a, a performance at the National Jazz Museum in Harlem tomorrow. You should come. So I went. And then, you know, he's such a friendly guy. And we just hit it off as friends really quickly. And so we would get together once every six months or whatever for six years. Um, and then the pandemic happened. And what, straight out of the pandemic, when we finally were all able to gather, we got a dinner after not seeing each other for a year and a half. And he had always said, we should make music. We should make music. And so I finally said, we should make music. And he goes, yeah, let's do it. I said, will you produce the record? He's like, absolutely. He goes, in fact, you know, I, Brother Mister is, is a big, uh, is a new production. We should do it through that. And after that, we just started working together. And so I, I'm so grateful because now, you know, he's the busiest man in show business. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it was really nice to have my friend, you know, back me up professionally. Well, he, he's a great mentor and he is 100% very giving. He really mm-hmm. is, and I've seen him operate through the years. I met him when I was the voice of Jazz Aspen, and he was our, our artistic director for our festivals. And right. you could see just him working with the students and, and people in general. I mean, he he's very open, he, he's approachable, and he, he's he's larger than life in many ways, as you know. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I saw him at Newport one time and I called out to him, and he's, he turns around and looks, takes a cigar out of his mouth, and goes, Jazz Aspen! <laughs> <laughs> I love your impression. It's so true. His voice is so imitable. Like, it's impossible to... To, to make the same sounds that he makes with his with his voice is incredible. So when the two of you decided to formulate this release, I, I'm a little confused because was this original collaboration going to be called Oil on Water? Oh my gosh, how did you find that? I, <laughs> I do my homework, dear. <laughs> I guess you do your homework. You should be a journalist podcaster. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm going to try that. Yeah, it's funny. Well, okay, so I'll tell you the the real backstory. So, so Christian 
you know, I gave him like 25 songs to choose from and he ended up choosing all original music. And I was like, are you sure? And he goes, yeah, you're a songwriter. I was like, okay. And then I said, who should we get to play the piano? He's like, you, obviously. I was like, what? So first of all, he really lifted me up in that space and that was really special. But then it was originally going to be called Pair of Thieves, which was a lyric from Well Planned, Well Played. And I like the idea of like, Pair of Thieves has like this, this mischievous kind of moment. But then my husband, Dan, was in Target and he called me right before we decided to name the record. And he's like, Nicole, there's a pair of thieves underwear brand at, at Target. I don't know. I don't know if you want to call your record that. And I was like, ah. So then I started talking with my other producer, Kabir. I was like, well, you know, what really is the narrative of this of this record? You know, we've been talking about how I've always had an ardent history of giving back and activism. And I'm like, what can I give? Where is the narrative? And so we looked and we saw lots of imagery of oil, water, uh, smoke, fire, uh, opposites, attract. There was like a two-sided part of it. And so originally had, we thought about calling it oil on water, you know, because of that beautiful color that that you see, that iridescence, but it never really mixes. And also the environmental photography that inspired the record, et cetera, et cetera. But that didn't have the same ring to it. <laughs> so you know it's hard to say so i went again went back to christian i said here are a couple names of the record what do you think and he was like how love begins that's the one and i was like thank god because it really it really just could you imagine if the, and the grammy goes to <laughs> a pair of thieves target underwear <laughs> Look at the sponsorship you could have had, right? That's what I'm saying. I could have been. I mean, my band. If you see my band, like they probably could be underwear models. <laughs> so. so, well, anyway, I, I when I came across that, I was thinking, well, how did it go from oil on water to how love begins? When I saw that there that there was the polarity, right, mm -hmm. and the oil and the water and the opposites, yada yada. That's like the the stereotypical cliche, but then. I was like, but what, what am I saying in these songs? Cause this is not like a love record. You know, it's not, it's my, my personal journey of, of love generally ends also with loss. <laughs> I don't know if that just happens to be what, you know, but I think when you take the risk of, of loving something, you also have the risk of losing it. And then having the courage to start over again is really the crux. Um, and so, when I was looking for oil and water paintings, I saw um, an image by Daniel Beltra from his um, artistic collection called Spill. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, what a beautiful painting. And then when I looked into it, I was like, oh my gosh, that's not a painting. That's an environmental aerial photograph of the Deepwater Horizon oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. One of the greatest, most horrific mm -hmm. environmental disasters of all time. And those, I really recommend people to look it up. Daniel Beltras spilled. They're just these beautiful photographs from above where you think it's a painting because it's swirled and brightly colored. It's just, it's like truly stunning. And that is where I was like, that's what the record's about. Sometimes the most beautiful things in life are also the most heartbreaking. And you have to have the courage at the end to start again. Otherwise people just fall into the, the trap of, well, I'm not going to take a leap because it's too painful. The record is just a, my way of saying like, look, it's not always easy. And sometimes it falls 
but you got to do it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to see it like a circle. For me, narrative is really important. I think like any love affair, any love relationship, you can't overthink it. it you have yeah. to let it just play out. I love that, Alan. Yeah. If you don't mind, Nicole, can we uh, take a quick romp through the, the, the tracks uh, on the album just so we yeah. can give a, uh, a taste of it uh, for our listeners so they, they understand what's going on? So your, your album starts out with The Good Ways. And tell us about that. Is that, a, is that a setting the stage kind of introduction? Yes, because, again, you know, because I wrote this, the songs, whether I are not I wanted to be personal is personal. So someone had said to me a backhanded compliment. They said, you're so crazy, but like in the good ways. And I was like, what does that even mean? And then I was like, I think that's a compliment about someone who's hard to pin down, someone who's a free spirit, someone who has a fire that can't be captured, etc. You're only crazy in the good ways A constant cycle and hit spin You're only crazy when the sun is shining Tides flow out and in You're simply dangerous like shockwaves Russian roulette with assassins You make me crazy in the good ways High range most of my relationships in my life have never been like love at first sight and now uh riding off into the sunset on a pony you know (laughs) like it's like okay fire there's that like crazy fire but how do you can't capture it so that's that's the good ways and then it goes into travel which also kind of continue it's an end of saint vincent millay poem that i set to music song is again there's that fiery person who whenever they hear a train they're thinking wow i would totally get on that train someone who's really hard to pin down Mm -hmm. and then you go into reverie which again is like about the dreamer mentality and then it could be the person thinking about someone that that they love or the person who is the dreamer you know just being this like nebulous um person who is flighty and free, et cetera, et cetera. Daydreams are unleashed and in this revelry absent thoughts laced with melancholy Spinning gathered wool Visions sparkle like night jewels Under Niagara whirlpool 
mean, that's a Debussy piece that I arranged um, and stuck some lyrics to. But and, then, am I moving too fast? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Because it, it, I, I think it does uh, lead very nicely into uh, the uh, let me love you. Because oftentimes in a relationship, there's always one person who's ready to move along. Let, let's get this underway. Let's get this thing started. But yet there's the other person that's like, please let me love you. <laughs> yes, yes. So let me love you is like the first time that like the the parties in question are going exactly what you just said. One person's like, okay, I understand that you're a free spirit, Looney Tune, love, love bomb. But like, will you, I'm going to leave because this is not fun anymore. Like, are we doing this? Are we doing this? Will you ever let me love you When you're so very cold I've been waging my battles But it's getting And then burn is the person in question going, oof, you know, I don't like to do love. Why? Because it's scary. But I think I'll try. And I, I didn't know that I could burn so slow. Deceptive ease and constant flow of vertical. All worlds colliding in this tableau. How sincere the depth of what you say I'll stay. If only for today. I didn't know that youth could seem so wise Starting over, taken by surprise All that's discovered within your eyes And the spark that lit the fire inside I'll try Until I choose to run or say goodbye It's like trying to fish that, that one shark in the ocean And keep missing it, keep missing it, and then you finally get them And that's the end of part one and that's a great tune as well. Uh, with uh, Thanks. And, and people should know, not only did Christian uh, co-produce the album, but he's also on the album uh, as mm. one of the players. And, and I love uh, in uh, the, the Burn song, right at the very end, he, the music stops and he goes, yeah, dig it. <laughs> I, I love that you listen to the end. That's my favorite part. I mean, this whole album is, is recorded live. We didn't do it to a click. I'm playing the piano and singing live. Or like in Burn, I had David Cook come and play the piano. But we, we did everything was one, was one take, um, multiple takes. And so you can hear throughout the album, you know, if someone does something fun, I'll like laugh. And, you know, the engineers would, would be like, well, should I take that out? I'm like, no, it's jazz. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's supposed to be, it's live. It's, it's alive. It is alive music. So, you know, when at the end of that take of Burn, I think that was, we had done that song like four times before. And then the camera crew, I had made a mistake on when they were coming. And so I asked 
before we took a break, I was like, can we please just run Burn one more time, please? Because again, every every song was one take. So if I have a video videographer and they didn't record Burn anywhere, then I don't have any footage. So I was like, can we just please take one more take of Burn? And so we did it. And that was the one. And then Christian's like, yeah, I dig it. <laughs> and obviously at this point in the album, everything is going swimmingly along. And then you bring in two fish. Yeah. So, you know, from a personal aspect, two fish is a, uh, is a, a is based on a poem by Dalia Rabikovich. Um, she's an Israeli poet. And I had that poem translated from Hebrew to English. And then I poetically translated that um, to surprise my husband at our wedding many years ago. And so this is a perfect opportunity to be like, oh, there's a song from the vault. We bring it in. And, you know, two fish is the beginning of part one, where the literally two fish are like, everything's hunky-dory. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Look, look at us go. We're doing so well. Yeah, it, it, it's it's just fun, you know. There are it's just fun. stages in a relationship where it gets to be just nothing but crazy fun, uh, but then you have to sit down and face reality. Uh, <laughs> That's where well planned, well played, played comes in, and then the rest of it, you know. Mm -hmm. Like I said, this is not an autobiography record, and so you know, even for me, like to describe like each song as we go, I'm like, well, do I do I make it personal or should I just say like what the overarching theme is because it's not not necessarily like about my life but sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't and that again like that's the whole songwriter thing um that it's up to the listener but well, well planned well played is for for me it's a song about going through the motions right like when you've been doing something for a long time and everything is just the same and so you're like looking for any excuse to like to like start a fight or like cause a conflict or or like do something uh, off color, you know, whatever, just because everything is mundane. And you're like you're looking for to, to make a mistake so that you feel alive. Mm -hmm. So as do many uh, relationships, this one moves toward the possibility of loss. And I think that's clear, especially uh, in the tune, Like Do, mm. uh, because of the lyrics that are there. Yeah, so so 20 Seconds comes right before that. 20 Seconds, that's, that's a song that I hear the most controversy over what it's about. So rather than me explain what it's about, I would like challenge the listeners to, to open the lyric or and to listen because I'm curious what they would think. Alarm bells ring a warning sound 
plan well played is about like desperately wanting to like change the mundane then 20 seconds is like did somebody do something that would you know cause cause a fire um and then like do is written as from the perspective of someone who maybe either caused a fire and now is is left alone or someone who felt a fire with someone and then turns out that it didn't exist because they get stood up, et cetera, like that. Lipstick hue Apply fresh like dew As she slips on her highest shoes Green, her eyes shine and gleam Checks the mirror in pastel Etc. like that. <laughs> That's the name of my new record. <laughs> there you go. And we're planting the seed here. Speaking of planting the seed, it all ends with the garden. Yeah. And, and <laughs> sorry, I don't mean to be so metaphorical oh my here. Oh, God, but. this is awesome. No, it's, <laughs> Alan, you're hilarious. So anyway, uh, a garden, uh, I guess like in any uh, setting, is a, sometimes a means of optimism uh, you know life goes on uh, something else will grow is it was right. that the thought behind that no one's actually ever asked me in a recorded interview what these songs are about so it's actually a good exercise for me um but the garden like the the lyric is is like you're in a garden but everything's dead right but it's still trying to grow right mm -hmm. so um, a rose still bends when the wind blows. So essentially, it's it's giving uh, permission to have something beautiful still bend, but not break. And then I think that's where this whole like re like restart the engine thing. It's like okay, everything we're at the bottom, but we can still. It's not broken fully. Like there's still hope.
that's that's the garden. And then there's a secret bonus track, which is Save It For A Rainy Day, which is essentially like, man, but seriously, you drive me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but like, there's still hope to hold on to. You assembled an incredible ensemble of talented, talented artists for this recording. And I'm curious as to the development of that because uh, they are all in their own right people to be recognized. Uh, And was it your approach to what you bring to the table as to who would be on the album or did Christian have input as well? It was, it was, uh, mutually exclusive. We we did it together. In fact, we would not the words not argue. It's the first time Christian and I had ever made music besides just be friends. And so he came to me with a lot of different people, and I was like, "What are you crazy? Like this person has never played anything besides bebop? Like no, <laughs> like the answer is no." Um, and he'd be like, "Okay, okay, okay. What about blank?" I'm like, "Uh." Eh. Uh, you know, it's it was weird it, in retrospect to think about me like arguing with the king of jazz over like who should play the record. And to be frank, if it was up to me again, I would have done it with my band. I love the people who played on the record. They're fabulous. But there's nothing that can replace my actual band who tours with me. Idam Marim and Sam Weber and Dan Puvach and myself, we tour as a quartet. We're like mind readers for off book. They they did everything with me in the trenches, uh, on shoestring budgets, uh, with, you know, we were, like, sleeping and sharing hotel rooms in all of 2023. Like, I feel like I I would have made the, made the record with them. But I'm really glad that I made it with these other fabulous musicians. And Christian and I came to agreement on a lot of, a lot of things. And so the reason we have two drummers is because my husband, who's a Grammy-nominated drummer, composer, arranger, Dan Pugach, was like, listen, it's the albums in two parts, have two drummers. It's going to feel like two different people. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we ended up having Billy Kilson be a special guest. And then Gilad Hexman, of course, played guitar. And he was the MVP of the recording session. Because like I said, everything was live. And he doesn't miss. It was really amazing. It's like, it was really unbelievable. He's such a terrific uh, musician. And he did not miss in the whole recording. And it was really spectacular. Um, and then David Cook is a dear, dear friend and like crushed it as a special guest on the piano. Then Maya Kronfeld is a friend of mine who played organ and she just like loved the music. So it, f- it was so gratifying to play the songs with her because she was like, oh, every time we play the garden, I cry. And I was like, this is this is why it's so important to play with people who, who care about the music, not just hired dunce. Right. And then you know, Christian obviously cared. He's, he put his heart and soul and time and and um, into lifting my my album up and and myself. So you know I'm super grateful for these amazing players. You also, uh, if I understand correctly, have Sonica on the album as well, which you are a part of. And they're what they're doing most of the vocal backgrounds. They did the backgrounds on uh, on travel. And then we also did an unreleased version of Travel that'll come out on the deluxe edition this year that has like a big Sonica feature. And then the rest of the background vocals I did because Tana moved to Spain and Julia went on the tour with Sam Cooke. <laughs> so I was like, okay, we're out of, we're out of time here. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta make moves. 
Yeah, Sonica was a really fun interim project that I did with Tana, Alexa, and Julia Adami, and Antonio Sanchez, Ross Peterson, and Dan Blugach. And so it just felt like the obvious choice for me to, to kind of pull that thread. I love the threads, right? Everything is threaded. And like I have travel on my album, and then my husband has his big band record that comes out called Bianca that comes out in March. Mm-hmm. And so we have a version of travel on there. So everything just kind of ties in. Hey, listen, I could go on talking for hours with you. You're such a wonderful individual and uh, very fun-loving, and thank you for the time. But before we go, what's coming next? Uh, what's on the horizon for Nicole's Zoritis? I hope I get to have a eight hours of sleep soon. <laughs> that's, that's number one. Besides the big band record that comes out this year that I sing on, we're going to do a deluxe version of How Love Begins, where a couple of the unreleased tracks will be released but then i already wrote a new album and so my band we just started learning these new songs you know we're, we have to like workshop them out because we i put a lot of trust in my in my band and so now we have to start working out these new songs because that would be the next project for me and i also curated or began curating a new vocal songbook of living jazz singer songwriters over the summer and so you know i had about a hundred submissions for uh, people who are living jazz singer-songwriters. And I'm going to put together a book as well as a recording um, in the future for that project. Lastly, Nicole, how can our listeners learn more about you and your music? Oh, great. Well, Zoraitis is a difficult Lithuanian last name. So all of my socials are Nicole Z Music or NicoleZMusic.com. And that's, you know, my Instagram, NicoleZMusic, besides just putting music and shows, I also put a lot of silly, satirical content that I love to make. And and then my website has my mailing list. So NicoleZMusic.com. Thanks for asking, Alan. I, I love when I hear from people, even if it's a positive feed or critical feedback, I'm happy to, I'm happy to chat um, with anybody. So I'm so happy to have been here with you this is a nice way to spend an afternoon. <laughs> well, thank you very much. And I, I, I truly do appreciate you being a guest on All That's Jazz. Thanks for being so thoughtful with your questions, too. And congratulations on your Grammy Award. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for listening to this episode of All That's Jazz with singer-songwriter, pianist, and arranger Nicole Zoraitis. We'd like to thank Ben Sedrin for the use of Mr. P's Shuffle as our theme song. And visit us again next time for another interesting conversation on All That's Jazz. If you like today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating on the streaming service you use. All That's Jazz is available on every major streaming app, including Podbean, Apple Podcast, and Spotify, as well as Facebook and online at allthatsjazz.net.